Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I've been sharing for a couple months um, about spiritual warfare, and I believe it's an important topic for us to discuss. We need to understand spiritual warfare more and more, in particular because we are facing an enemy, and you are in a spiritual war. We are in a battle, and one of the ways that we engage in spiritual warfare is we we have to understand what is holding us back. Because when the enemy comes against us, he will manipulate those areas in our heart that are available to him. And if we have an open door, he will exploit it. And so we have got to know what those things are. And so I've talked to you about being free and having the freedom of the Lord. Jesus paid for every person that would call on his name to be free. Not kind of free, not a little bit free, 100% free. Amen. That's what we believe. We don't believe in kind of free, all right? We believe that it's actually free. And he wants our hearts to be free, not to be caught up in bondage and wickedness that we're subjected to all the time. But we are living in a world full of landmines. And we've got to know that. We've got to know that when we walk out into this world and we live our life, that there are landmines everywhere all around us. And some of those are designed specifically to affect us strategically, to take us out, to render us ineffective, to cause us to stop what we are doing, to stop sharing about Christ, to stop loving Christ, to stop becoming like Christ. This is what the enemy is seeking to do. We need to know that. And sometimes we've got to focus on what those things are. We don't glorify the enemy, but we've got to understand what we're up against so that we can apply the blood of Jesus. We can apply the victory that we have in Christ. We can apply all that he has given us in those specific areas and walk free. As a pastor, one of the desires that I have, and I read in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, where John says, I desire, you're not my children, but just hear the heart of this. I desire that all my children would walk in truth. Well, what does truth do? Truth sets us free. Jesus said that himself in John chapter 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I've talked to you about being free from our past. I've talked to you about being free from complaining. Remember, I talked to you about how walking in thanksgiving brings breakthrough. I didn't wait for thanksgiving to talk to you about it. It was something that the Lord was teaching me and that I wanted to wake up in the morning and thank God instead of focus on other things. Focus on things that would drag me down. We needed to fo- I needed to focus on something that would cause me to look up. And I wanted to share that with, with you. And so we've talked about that. But we're living in a generation that is bound. We're living in a time where people are bound. They're bound by addictions. They're bound by sin. They're bound by lies. They're literally living. We are living in a time where people are pursuing vanity, total insignificance, waste of time. And I was thinking about a very funny story that, was, that happened a few years, several, well, several years ago at this point. I can't remember exactly how old my young, our youngest son was. But our youngest son, Judah, went with my wife to a consignment store, and she was trading in things that she had for something else. Any of you ever go to a consignment store? Those are great places. They really are. Yeah, you can, it's like old stuff, old days. You could barter. 
You know, I'll give you this, you give me that. That's a great way to be, isn't it? Yeah, before money ever came into the picture, all right? So she goes to this store, and Judah's with her, and she trades some stuff in. And Judah got mesmerized because on the shelf he saw this incredible toy. It was a trans- It was Optimus Prime. Anybody know what Transformers are? All right, so it was Optimus Prime. It was like this tall. And not only could Optimus Prime walk, but he could talk. And he could like lift his arm up and shoot missiles and stuff. I mean, this thing was like, I was sort of jealous when he came home. He came home with this walking, talking Optimus Prime. I grew up on Transformers. I thought this is one of the most powerful toys I've ever seen in my life. When he came home, of course. Now, one of his little friends from the neighborhood came over. And I'll leave his name out. I don't want to protect the guilty. So... His little buddy came over, and they were sitting on the floor together, and Judah was showing off his little toy that he got, or big toy that he got from the consignment store, and it was walking and talking and shooting missiles and all that stuff, and I was sort of halfway mesmerized by the thing, too, but his friend, his little buddy, man, he, you, you could see his face. He was just absorbing that awesomeness. It was emanating from Optimus Prime, and he, I'm not kidding, he was just, he was just receiving it right there. And Bridget and I were sitting in the other room, and we could hear them talking. We couldn't quite hear everything they said, but his little friend said this to him. This is no exaggeration, okay? And Judah made sure that we would understand exactly what his friend said. So he gave us a play-by-play a little bit later. But Judah said to him, and they're about six or so, Judah said, um, uh, or his friend asked him, he said, hey, can um, can I have that? And Judah was like, what? And he goes, you know, like, like, when you're gone, can I have that? And Judah was like, what do you mean when I'm gone? He's like, you know, when you're dead and gone and in the grave, can I have that? No, I, this is no exaggeration. He literally said this to my son. He said, when you're dead and gone and in the grave, can I have that? And Judah said, you can just play with it right now. What's wrong with you, you know? And so it's a really silly story, and I probably shouldn't bring it up, but I'm, I'm saying it, I was reminded of it for this reason. At, the, at six years old, he was so mesmerized by this toy that he was already strategizing a plan as to when he would capture this, even at the expense of my son's life. I mean, this is just, this is how captured he was. I mean, just hear it for what it is. It's so funny and it's so cute. But when you really think about it, a toy had this six-year-old boy so captured, he was already planning the funeral. And this has got to be in my inheritance. And I really thought about how this world is actually designed for us to dismiss people and to dismiss promise so that we can take up material possessions and all these other things that enamor us and mesmerize us that we would be overwhelmed by the things of the world and not the things of the Lord, that we would forget about who we are and what we're called to do. Now, that story doesn't completely relate, but it does make a nice parallel for us to get the fact that the enemy is invested not only in our destruction, but in our distraction, wanting to render us ineffective, wanting to get us focused on the wrong thing at the wrong time so that we are doing nothing in the kingdom of God. All the while, we are sitting here, and if we believe in Christ, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have full potential to be completely free, not a little free. Now, you might have come tonight, and you might be worked over 
by something that's been going on in your life. You might say to me tonight, Pastor Ben, listen, I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been believing, and this thing hasn't happened. And I would tell you, yet. It hasn't happened yet. And the plan against you is to make you believe that because it hasn't happened, it won't happen. Because it may have happened for someone else, but they must be lying because it hasn't happened for me. So they must be telling, selling a wolf ticket because I haven't experienced that. Well, that is the work of the enemy set itself against you in your mind. And I believe tonight we have something in front of us in this passage that will help us. But we've got to come up out of our bondage, whatever that might mean. And that bondage might be material possessions. It, it might be addictions. It might be um, selfishness or greed or vanity or whatever it is. But it is capturing us. And God has more for us. And he wants us to walk in complete and total freedom. And to do that, we have to contend for freedom. I, I'm telling you, Jesus paid for it. We receive it. It's free. But if we're going to apply those promises in our life, we're, we are literally going to have to implement them. We are going to have to apply them to the areas in which we are vulnerable. You, you can ask me how I know. I can tell you how I know. I pray for people all the time. People that know the word. People that love Jesus. People that are serious about being a disciple. People that have made commitments. Why am I still bound? Why, why am I still walking through this? Well, there are some keys in scripture that help us. There are some fundamentals that we've got to adhere to if we're going to rise up. And I believe this. I also believe that God is raising up a warrior generation. I really do. A generation that's going to push back. A generation that's going to say enough is enough. A generation that's going to realize that bondage is not our way forward and bondage does not have to exist in our lives. God's raising up warriors. Warriors are people that are not only engaged in battle, but they're seasoned. They're veterans. They know how to face their foe. They understand who the enemy is. They understand their equipment. They know what they're called to do, and they're not afraid to do it. God's raising up warriors. That's young and that's old. That's men and that's women. But that's people that can take up the sword of the Spirit and apply it, not only for our freedom, but for the freedom of other people. And that when we face the enemy and we overcome, we're not only conquering what's in front of us, but we're probably conquering a couple of the, those brothers, those giants' brothers, on, the, on behalf of those that are standing around us and beside us and below us and all around us. God is calling us to be more than conquerors, warriors that defeat the enemy for us and for those which we love. And I believe that tonight we're going to see something here in Numbers 13 that I think will help us. I, I don't have much. I just have a few points. But you know the story. Israel was uh, delivered by God with a mighty hand. They were in the wilderness 40 years. We talked a few weeks ago about this. I shared with you how it wasn't about 40 it wasn't about how many years, it was about God getting down to the core and the root system of their attitudes and their unbelief so that he could pull that out of them and they could inherit the promised land properly. You can give a million dollars to a person, but if they have a spirit of poverty, which is a mindset, they will waste it in a day. Just because you leave an inheritance for somebody does not mean they'll steward it properly. It does not mean it will do anything for them or for those that they love. Just because somebody has something doesn't mean that it's doing what it's supposed to do. 
And so God was in the wilderness delivering them from the bondage that was still existing in the way that they thought. He was trying to get those thoughts out of their mind, deliver them from this. Forty years later in the wilderness, a new generation rose up. And that generation did not know warfare at all. They hadn't seen all of the miracles that God had done for their fathers and mothers. And so we know they're in the wilderness and they're existing and they were kids. And so they've heard the stories if they hadn't seen them for themselves. Many of them did not walk across the Red Sea on dry ground, but they heard about it. They heard about it from their parents. And so they, they are these in the wilderness and they're standing in front of the promised land. Moses is getting them ready to go into the promised land. And he makes a decision. We're going to send spies into the land. We're going to send some spies into the land. Caleb was one who he sent in with other spies. And that's what he did. Numbers 13 is all about him sending spies into the land. And Moses says to them, I want you to go all over the land. And I want you to spy out everything that you can. I want you to bring back some fruit. Maybe he was hungry. I don't know. I want you to bring back some fruit, some evidence that you've been there. And I want you to give us a full report when you come back. And and what we're going to read is what they said when they came back. Verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, right on the crest of the promised land. And that's where they were. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It was, it was massive grapes that they brought back. I mean, it's bountiful. Everything is there that you said. It's very true. This place is exactly like you said. And, uh, and nevertheless, the people who lived in the land, well, they are strong. And the cities are fortified, and they're large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. Now, I listen, that verse should be somewhere on your mirror or tattooed on your arm or something. I didn't endorse that, but I... Caleb has a different way of looking at this entire situation. Do you see that? He sees something that they don't see. Therefore, he says something that they didn't say. And he says, he says this. I'm going to read it again. Caleb quieted them. We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And listen to this. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we are in their sight. In other words, we are like nothing in front of these. We are nobody. We have nothing. We can't stand up to them at all. And I just want to take away two things tonight before we move to a time of worship and prayer. Because if we're going to come out of bondage, 
It's got to be because of some principles that we learn right here. And the first one is we've got to know who God is. We have to know who God is. When God delivered his people from their bondage in Egypt, now listen closely to this. He knew something about them that they didn't know about themselves. When God delivered Israel out of the 430 years of slavery, there was a decision that God made in how he was going to lead them because he already knew what was in their mind. Listen to this. This is right when they're coming out of Egypt, Exodus 13. Now, when Pharaoh had led the, had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. So God would not lead them the short way, even though it was the, the, the way that was easiest for them, naturally speaking. He said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Now, I want to unpack this just for a second. Here's the decision God made. He knew that if they went by the land of the Philistines, the Philistines were going to confront them. And God said, if I lead them that way, they will not be prepared for battle. And if they see a war, not that God wouldn't deliver them. A amen, everybody. We understand God just delivered them out of Egypt. But what God was saying was not that I won't deliver them then, but if they see war, if they see someone come and confront them from the land of the Philistines, they might change their mind and head back to Egypt. They're just going to run and hightail it back. So God said, I cannot lead them that way. I've got to lead them another way. How does he lead them? He leads them up to the Red Sea. You all remember the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus chapter 14, the people of Israel come up to the sea and Egypt and Pharaoh are pursuing them. And the people start to freak out. They start to get a little scared at that time. And that's when God does a miracle. I want to remind you, and maybe we hadn't thought of this before, the reason they were at the Red Sea was so that God wouldn't lead them a certain way and they would run from the war that they perceived. And it tells us that they weren't prepared in their mind for any level of confrontation, even though God had already delivered them. Now he gets them in front of the sea and they see Pharaoh's coming with his army and they're scared and God does a mighty miracle. God wants to again show his people who he is. God wants to again show his people what he is like. And what does he do? He delivers them. Come on, I've never seen a sea parted. Amen. I haven't even seen my bathtub parted before. But they got to see something that we have not seen before. This is incredible. God wanted to show them that he was strong. He wanted to show them that he was a warrior. He wanted to show them that he would vindicate them. He would conquer on their behalf. It was not them. It was God. He wanted them to know it for sure. We've got to know who God is. And maybe you haven't thought about this before, but when they get on on the other end of the Red Sea, after it's parted, after they walk through on dry ground, Moses starts to sing a song. Now, I don't know if you've ever written a song after deliverance before, but you ought to. You understand, I'll tell you, when you get delivered, your hands start to raise. Amen. You go, at first, you're like, you know, those charismatics, I don't, I don't really, those, I don't understand them. Why would they, why would they, <laughs> when, when you get free, friend, you start to do something you didn't understand before. You understand what I'm saying? When your heart, when the burdens of your heart come off, 
When you come out of captivity, all of a sudden you can see what you couldn't see before. You can do what you couldn't do before. And you start, you start, to, you start to do a little something, don't you? You start to move around a little bit. You start to, God is good. Some of you are moving right now. I see it. You're like, hmm. You just, you're moving. I can't, you can't help it. You start to sing. You start to shout. You start to clap. And, and, all, and, all of a, and all of a sudden, you're giving God praise. Why? Because he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Okay, that's what Moses does. You want to know what he sings? He sings this long song. Let me just summarize one part of it. This is what he says in Exodus 15, 3, on the other end of the Red Sea. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Moses sings this. He didn't just say it. He says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. In the Bible, hundreds of times, it refers to the Lord as the Lord of hosts. More than any other title, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies. You may not want to know this, okay, but God is the God of the armies. Now, for some, they get offended by that, but the Bible says it, the Lord of hosts. And, and, and we're looking to be spirit-filled warriors of Christ coming against principalities and powers and demonic forces of wickedness and bondage that hold us back from bringing forth the kingdom of God, advancing his church until the king returns. We're not talking about building a militia. We're not talking about natural warfare. But for us, on the other side of the cross, we understand that our God is a warrior. The Bible says, vindication is mine, saith the Lord. He calls us to stand, to stand and what? And to see the salvation of our God. We understand that God can do on our behalf what we have not been able to do. God answers prayer. God delivers people. God heals. God brings salvation. God answers us. He answers his people like he always has. God is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The enemy does not want us to know that God is a warrior. He doesn't want us to open our mouth. He doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to shout, dance, clap. He doesn't want us to care. He wants us to be numb. He wants us to sit down down and to shut up and to not say anything and to be religious and to act like this thing is just fiction and nothing is going to happen. And he doesn't want a people to rise up and to know that God is worthy and that God is a warrior and that God is at war and God is fighting and God is moving. He doesn't want you to know that. But when a people start to recognize that we are dealing with God, that we are talking to God. This isn't just a theological box. Nobody can describe our God. Nobody can put him into terms that are worthy of his name. Nobody can say something that is worthy of, of describing the one and true God. There isn't one person that could come up here tonight and say something that would fully capture who we're talking about. But what we know is that everything that he has done is what he still does. God wants to set his people free. Don't think for a second that wherever you might be bound tonight, that, as it, that isn't just an invitation for him to rush in like a mighty flood and to set you free. He's going to do it, and he always has. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. We got to know who God is. We've got to know who God is. Friends, we can't live in a religious box. You just can't accept that. You can't accept less. You gotta, you gotta cancel your plans to be miserable and grab a hold of God. You understand? We're miserable because we're looking at ourselves. 
We're miserable because we're looking at our sin, looking at our situation. Well, there's something greater to see. There's someone that's greater than all that. There's someone that's greater than the past and the failure and all of that sin and all the bondage. There's someone greater than that. And he wants us to see him. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to pray big prayers until you see a big God. You're not going to say boastful, profound things coming from the word of God until you see him. We've got to see God, the real God. Sometimes I, I, I don't know what else to say. I say the real God. He's real. You know, he's just real. And I love it getting together with you wonderful people. I do. Because when we get together, we recognize how true what we believe really is. The enemy wants to pick you off. He wants to pick me off and isolate me. And he wants to put me to flight. He wants to put me down. He wants to put me in the back room. He wants to shut us up. And I'll tell you what, he wants to stop you from praying. The enemy wants to stop you. I I pray for people sometimes and every now and again as I pray for them, I have a vision. And I see a mute button on their mouth. Just like the, the... old stereos we used to have they have a mute button some of us still have one of those you know I'm pretty sure we do but big old mute button on their mouth and the enemy just goes dink mute don't speak don't pray don't say nothing don't prophesy none of it's true just right there push the stop button push the mute button amen you just got to throw that thing away or give him no access to it. You know, sometimes Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3 says, you are God in heaven, I'm here on earth, let my words be few. Okay, before a holy God, we might need to have our words be few, but not before a, a, an enemy that God wants to vanquish, a foe that he's already taken care of. We're not going to stand mute before the enemy, but there are times where we stand in awe before God, certainly. But we've got to know which one. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Why am I bringing this up? When we know who God is, like Caleb did, when Caleb came back, he saw what everybody else saw. He did. They all saw the same thing. It's like coming to church or it's like having an encounter with the Lord. Two people could come in, hear the same thing, have the same experience, but they see see it totally different. And they walk out totally different. You know, it always uh, boggles my mind, you know? I mean, to realize that the same truth can be shared. The same Bible is true for every person, but we've got to lay hold of it. And so we've got to see God bigger. The Bible says in Corinthians, Paul tried to encourage the Corinthian church that the Old Testament was written upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So we've got to see the picture of the Old Testament. Why? There's something about the bigness of God in the Old Covenant. I think it's an assault on God to just see like the judgment and the angry God of the Old Testament. That is a lazy study of the scriptures. That is not who God is. God is merciful. God is kind. He is long suffering. We summarize the character of God in a judgment or in an end result where God had to decide where people wouldn't. Yes, our God steps up and he does what has to be done when we won't. God will do that. And I bet you it comes at great grief to him to do such a thing. Judgment is the last resort of a loving God. But it also, before it becomes that, it is also the neglect of a sinful people that brings God to a place where he must do something like that. But people summarize the God of the Old Testament as some angry personality. That is not God. That is not what he's like. That is not what the Old Testament portrays. There might be some difficult passages, but when you read carefully, when you read closely, you see something about our God that others won't say, that some people won't bring up, that get 
pushed down and pushed out. He is a mighty and merciful God. But we've got to see who he is because what you see is determined. What you see today is determined by what you know about God. If we know who he is, then when we look at a situation, when we look at how the enemy's trying to incarcerate us in soul or, or even physically, we understand that God is going to do something about it. That's important for us to grasp. Number two, and finally, amen. I only had two points. It still took me the same amount of time. <laughs> Thank you, Darby. We have to know who we are. We got to know who God is. We got to know who we are. Verse 33 says, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. Some people feel like that in life. We feel like we're nothing. We feel like we're nobody. We feel like we can't do something. Uh, we stop before we try. Friends, we've got to conquer that spirit. That is a spirit. That's not just you. That's not just you feeling bad about yourself. There's a spiritual attack, an assault, a, a perpetrator wanting to violate us, wanting to push us down, wanting us to forget about what God has done and what he said and what that means to us. He doesn't want us to know our identity in Christ. He doesn't want us to understand that Jesus paid a price, a precious, a high price, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know? Do you, Paul would say to the church, do you not know that you were purchased with a high price? I mean, that's like saying, have you forgotten what Jesus has done and what that means about you? See, we first got to know who God is, but secondarily, we've got to know who we are. We can't be saying we're like grasshoppers. We're nobodies. We're nothings. And we're not here to boast in our autonomy. We're connected to Christ. We're in Christ. We're sons and daughters of the living God as we follow Jesus. This isn't about being separated from him and thinking we're awesome, but it's about knowing that the benefits that Jesus paid a price for are ours in Christ. Jesus didn't go to the cross, rise from the dead, give us his word so that we would walk in less. And I know there are all kinds of doctrines that are created to accommodate the flesh, to make people think, you know, don't pray into that. Don't prophesy that. Don't tell anybody that. And I've watched what that does. It keeps people in their darkness and their depression. It keeps people in their fear and their anxiety. I'm not saying you won't walk through it. I'm not saying you won't have to confront it. I'm just telling you, in what spirit will you confront it? With what promise will you speak to it? With what prayer will you address whatever is in your life? See, we've got to know what we're holding on to, what we're standing on, what we're believing for. We've got to know that. We can't just look to one, other, one person or another. We've got to know it for ourselves. We've got to know who we are in, in Christ. I used to do youth camps a lot, and, and uh, it's been a long time, but I would travel around and preach to young people. And uh, hundreds, sometimes 400, 500, whatever, sometimes less, way less. And something I learned is that this generation of young people are getting assaulted. They're being distracted. We had a, a birthday party for my son the other day, and I had five young boys in the car. Uh, and I was telling them that video games, as silly as that might sound, when you spend two, three, four hours, uh, I told them this unashamedly. When you spend your time on that video game, you can say to me, well, it's not sinful. It isn't about what you're doing. It's about what you're not doing. It, it isn't about 
how it's not sin, it's, the, it's what it's keeping you from. See, the distraction is destruction. We, we can't give ourselves the total insignificance. And you could say, well, that's not me. Don't put your head in the sand, though. There's so much distraction today to capture a generation, to the, to the young people. And we've got to rise up. When we come together to pray, we've got to pray. We have to pray that there is a revelation to the people of this generation, to the young people, to the old people. The old people aren't done, and the young people have just begun, and everybody else is in between. All of us matter. All of us need to be used by God. But I was telling these young people, I gave them a 25-minute sermon. I wouldn't call it a lecture. It was a sermon. But they were listening. They were hearing me. I was telling them, God might call you to write books. God might call you to lead things. God might call you to do great things in the name of Jesus for his glory, not your own, but for his glory. But if you waste it on total insignificance, sometimes people think, well, that's not who I am and that's not what I'm supposed to do. Friend, if we give ourselves to all these other things, that statement is an excuse. That's all it is. And the enemy is accommodating that. He's accommodating that. You're like a grasshopper. Well, I might as well go over here and just waste my life. I might as well go over here and just waste my time because we forgot who we are. <laughs> we look in the mirror. I'm a grasshopper. I can't, do, I can't vanquish any foes. I can't do anything significant. I'm not significant. Why would, I even, why would I even try? When I was going around youth camps praying for kids, man, it was heartbreaking. I remember I laid my hands on one boy one time and I began to prophesy over his life and just affirm him and speak life into him, call him up as a warrior of God. I mean, this, it just was like a Braveheart moment. I wasn't even trying to give him some macho masculinity. I, that wasn't what it was about, but it was calling him up, calling him out of whatever it was that he was in. And I didn't even know. And, and he began to tell me that he cries himself to sleep every night. And even his family call him gay and all this other stuff, all the feminine or whatever. And so he's literally living under this bondage over this curse of what other people have labeled him and told him that he is. And so he's just literally cutting out a pathway of that curse over his life. There's a curse over him. You understand what a curse is? I mean, a curse is those things that are spoken over us that become labels that we live under. And what they do is they dismantle the identity that Jesus paid a price for us to walk in. And we've got to stop putting labels on people. We've got to start tearing them off. We've got to start tearing labels off people. We've got to start telling people who they are in Christ. I'm not talking about avoiding sin. I'm saying Jesus is the one that paid for sin. But we've got to tear those labels off of people and say, you're gr in Christ, you could be anything that God calls you to be. But it's all about him. You're a warrior. You're male, female, you're a warrior. Rise up. Rise up. I'll close with with this. Um, you thought I was closing already, didn't you? What? Um, I was praying tonight, and we're going to have some more prophetic ministry here in a, in a minute. We prophesy. We, we want to hear the Lord. But I was praying about tonight, and I had this vision, and I walked down this hallway, and there was this big door at the end, and, I, and as in this vision, I just walked right into the door. It was open. It was an open door. And I heard the Holy Spirit say that. I'm putting before you an open door. But he wasn't saying it to me. He was saying it to us. He wasn't saying it to me. It was for us. I'm putting before you an open door. And I just didn't even hesitate. I walked right in the door. I believe that's prophetic for us tonight. There's a no hesitation. This is a no hesitation zone. We walk in the open door. God's called us into something. 
and we've got to know we're not grasshoppers. We're going to walk into the open door. I walked into the door and it was a library like I've never seen before. I mean, it was just full of, and I like books. So I was in heaven, you know, I was very drawn into this place and I, it was filled books, top to bottom shelves everywhere. I was like, I was overwhelmed. I couldn't believe it. And as I made my way towards one of the bookshelves, I was stepping on keys Keys were just thrown all over the ground. Everywhere I could look, there were keys, all kinds of keys, different sizes, different shapes and colors. And I stopped looking at the books, and I started looking down at the keys. And I was like, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to pick up the keys. And as I was picking up the keys, and I was like figuring out where I was going to put all these keys, because my pockets were not big enough for these keys, you know. There's no keychain in the world that could hold these keys. I began to pick up the keys, and as I did, it was like I heard the Holy Spirit say, these keys aren't for you. These keys aren't for you. You know what keys represent? Keys represent access. Keys are what get us into places that are locked. And here's what I believe tonight in the Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit will give us keys that will unlock these places in our lives that are either holding us back from what God has or they're ushering us in to the new place that we're called to be. God will give us keys. I'm saying to you tonight, freedom is upon us. We are literally living in a season where God is setting people free. Friend, I wanna tell you something, and and I need you to hear me. If you're not living in freedom, if you are bound by something in the secret place or in the public place, whatever that thing is, I am telling you, you do not have to stay bound. If you are not living in freedom, you do not have to stay bound. It is a lie that you would even think it. It is not from God. He wants you to give you freedom. It is the gift of Jesus. It's of grace. It is not of works. You cannot earn your freedom from God. You cannot make it happen. Yes, we respond to the word. Yes, we obey the Lord. But when we come to know God and what Jesus has done for us and we walk in Christ in our identity of who he is, the freedom begins to overtake our lives. If not initially, eventually, there is fullness for us in this place. And he wants to give out keys. He wants to give them out liberally. He just wants to spread out the keys. We can unlock those doors that have been locked to us. And so that's what we're prophesying tonight. We're going to go back into a song of worship. Will you stand with me? Let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit for that. If you're here tonight and you need that freedom, whatever it is, you're bound by something. Or even just you're bound from your future, not just by your sin. You feel like you can't even see what's in front of you, where you're going, what you're supposed to do. I'm telling you, God wants to give you vision. He wants to open up a door. There's an open door that's placed in front of you. He wants to give you access to a new place, not just a stall place, but that new place that God has for you. Let's prophesy that tonight and begin to pray that. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that we have the mind of Caleb right now. We understand that when we see the enemy, we're not afraid, we're not ashamed, we're not held back, we're not in bondage because our mind isn't in bondage. We bring back a good report. You've called us into something and not away from it. You've called to give us more and not less. You've called us to walk in fullness of promise and not a little bit. You've called us not to stall, but you've called us to walk into the open door, and you're giving us keys tonight. And so we prophesy over every person here, every person watching online, freedom, freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus, freedom in our mind, freedom in our heart, freedom from our past, freedom to move forward, freedom in Christ. 
We are who you say we are. We can do what you say we can do. And we're called to move forward. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus for a delivering work to begin. Even now, right now, Lord, come among us in your healing and your revealing power. We're going to pray right there. Thank you for deliverance. Come. Holy Spirit, we pray for deliverance tonight. Come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for healing. Yeah. Thank you for vision. Thank you for the keys that open up doors of vision. If you, if you came tonight and you feel like you're stalled, you don't know how to get to where you need to go, this is a new season, you feel a little blind, Lord, we prophesy that key for them right now to open the door. Lord, you put before us an open door. Let it be opened in Jesus' name. You know the plans you have for us. You know them. There is nothing you don't know. You can show us, and we ask for that prophetically tonight. Thank you. I pray, Lord, over our pastors that you would give them prophetic words and that as we worship, it would begin to flow. We ask for that waterfall to open up in this place, that rivers of living water would flow out of our innermost being, and we would see it and receive it, and we would hear from heaven. Thank you, O God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.